Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind, as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of I love God, and he, she, or it loves me. Hello, I'm David Bolden, and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, today in Facebook, I saw something that Deepak Chopra, the psychiatrist, physician, uh, had posted, and he mentioned God, referring to God as she. Every time God was mentioned and he needed a pronoun, he used she. Well, I've heard of that tendency. And I suppose the reason behind it goes something like this. Well, for so long we've said he, you know, God, he. And so maybe it's time to use she now. Maybe the next few thousand years we should say she, and maybe that'll bring in some kind of a balance. Or maybe you should take your pick and say he or she. I can only say, what the devil's the matter with people? <laughs> I mean, really. And I'm not criticizing here specifically the use of she. But even as a child, I thought, God, a he? Okay, Jesus Christ. If you believe Jesus Christ was God, well, he was supposedly a man on earth. Historically, there's no real definite evidence that he existed. I believe he did. I believe he was a man on, on earth. And uh, he talked about his father in heaven. So one could say, well, okay, Jesus was a he and his father in heaven. Uh, well, that was obviously he as well. But, you know, even as a kid, it was in grade school. When I went to Catholic school, which, of course, had its disadvantages. Believe me, those nuns could be mean. All the stories you hear, now they're not allowed to hit kids, but they were back then. I could tell you stories. But as a kid, I thought, okay, God the Father. Well, if there's God the Father, there must be a God the Mother, in my simplistic, childish mind. I thought, you know, obvious, right? And they said, well, yes, there is. Mary is the Mother of God. And Catholics said, I don't know what they say now, but I believe it's still, it's not just Mother of Jesus Christ, you know, Mother of the Man Jesus Christ, it's Mother of God. That exclamation, Mary, Mother of God, what's going on over there? You don't hear that too much anymore, but <laughs> maybe among the Irish, I don't know. But I thought, okay, so if Mary was the mother, not just of Jesus Christ, but of God, well then God himself, God Father, must have had a father too. Well, how far back do you want to go? And even as a kid, I thought, this is just total nonsense. I mean, isn't it plain? Of course, now that my mind isn't so childish and now that I've gotten to know human beings, uh, I know even adults sometimes think the most ridiculous things. And I just don't get it. I mean, I just don't get it. <laughs> he and she refer to male and female, and that's a biological thing. You need he and she to create another he and or she, don't you now? It's a biological thing. To think that God, something as great and wonderful as God, and by the way, I'm not an atheist. I'm not trying to mock religion here as some kind of atheist. I was for years as, when I was young, as a teenager, up to about 2021. But then I, I learned certain things, experienced certain things, and yes, I think there is 
what I call a supreme intelligent creative force. I like to think it's a supreme intelligent loving creative force but I know it'd be easy to argue the contrary when we see the things that go on in the world. So for now I'll just limit it to a supreme intelligent creative force that is God, right? But to ascribe a sex to God, oh it's a he or it's a she. Okay, in the Bible, yes, they did that. Remember, that was a very patriarchal society. And no, I'm not a feminist. <laughs> don't, accuse, <laughs> don't let anybody accuse me of that. But it was a patriarchal society. In certain other societies, on the little islands off someplace, they might have had a matriarchal society, maybe even a larger society. And maybe they would talk about the goddesses. Well, the Romans were more reasonable there, and the ancient Greeks. Well, the Romans inherited their gods, for the most part, from the Greeks, right? And they had, for every he god, there was a she god, which kind of makes sense. For every he-dog, there's a she-dog, right? Every he-person, there's a she-person. So it was, it was more logical than what we do, wasn't it? I mean, there was, there was of course, Zeus, uh, the, the king of all the gods, and then there was Hera, the queen, of, the, the, queen the, god, the goddess, right? Well, that kind of makes sense. But of course, what the, what the Jews did in the Old Testament, and certain other cultures as well, they would just have the masculine god. And he created everything. Well, you have to ask yourself, and as a kid, I asked myself these questions. Okay, before we humans even existed, before the world existed, before the universe existed, because after all, God is eternal, right? I thought, well, where did God get his heness from, and why was it even necessary? Right? We're used to thinking, well, he, she, he, she, right? As long as it's a living being and something we can recognize, right? Uh, otherwise, it's an it. Remember that word, it. Reminds me of Cousin It, the Adams family. Remember that? Boy, I laughed when Cousin It would appear. <laughs> Hairy little creature. Uh, anyway, I, w I thought as a child, well, okay, before all the universe, before there were any he's or she's, God was just up there as a man or what? Or, or what? As a he. But why, would, why did the word he even have a relevance then? Because if there's nothing else but one God, you know, before he created everything, this one God, why would why would any angel bother to call him a he? Unless there were, of course, female angels there too, but God just happened to be the he. But this whole imposing sexuality onto God always seemed to me just so stupid. I'm sorry, people. I'm really sorry. I don't want to offend anybody. But this is what I thought even as a kid. You know, it's just kind of stupid. I, I sense that God, if it exists, must be something much greater than sexuality. It has to be something... <laughs> I sure hope to God that it is, <laughs> because, I mean, really, think of all the problems sexuality causes. And you would think God in the beginning, being a he, well, he created Adam, and actually, since Adam was his in his, his image, I guess we have to assume that God looked like a man, I don't know, and then he created man, but, you know, God didn't have enough foresight to realize the beginning, well, you know, he's going to get lonely. No, he had to see Adam actually getting lonely there, I guess, pining away for something that he couldn't even imagine because there were no women around. Then God thinks, oh, I know what he needs is a, a what could it be? What could it be? He had no point of reference because there were no women yet. Right? He said, oh, I know, I'll create a woman. So take one of Adam's ribs and then you create a woman. Uh, and then, oh, yeah, that's fine. Well, you think he would have created one for himself, right, if he's a he. You think that would be the first act he committed. Anyway, these stories are just so... I'm sorry I have to say the word. You know, when I started doing these podcasts, I debated for months how I was going to talk. I thought, well, I don't want to offend anybody. I should, 
never get excited, irritated, and just speak in a, a voice like this and speak in a kind, loving voice. And you know, I am a kind, loving person, believe it or not, despite all the, <laughs> all the things you hear me saying in these podcasts. I consider myself a kind person. I'm a nice person. I can get along with anybody if I choose to. Uh, and I consider myself a person who really cares about other people. But on the other hand, when I see yet another example of just human stupidity, you know, I told myself after months, I thought, I'm not going to try to pretend to be something that I'm not. I know there's some people out there that really are also kind, loving people, and they always have the kind, loving voice. They carefully weigh their words so they don't offend anybody. But I'm on the path of Socrates. I want to get closer and closer to the truth. And if that means stepping on toes, even my own toes at times, which I've done ooh, a lot in my life, in other words, criticizing the things I believe and thinking, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. What are you believing here? Then I'm going to do it. In other words, I want to be honest with you. And it just seems so dumb to talk about God as a he. You would think that people would progress to the point, especially at Deepak Chopra. I've listened to some of his stuff and some is really very insightful. I won't say I agree with everything he says, but there's a lot of insight there about alternative medicine, Indian medicine. I think he should be listened to. Uh, you can disagree with him, but I think he has a very good mind. But that he goes with this she thing. I was hoping for years, when they finally get over this imposing sexuality, you know, he on God, finally they'll recognize that, you know, he's not a he. And, and sure enough, now, oh, no, but she's a she. And I say, oh my God, how dumb people are. Or they just do that to appease women. Maybe Deepak Chopra has more clients. He is a psychiatrist, after all, who are women. I, I recently saw a Pew Research Center study that showed that women on average, have more psychological problems than, than men, mainly due to depression. So maybe he has more patients that are females, so he wants to appease them, and so now he calls God a she. I don't know. That would be, a, I guess, a thing just to attract more customers, clients, uh, patients, I should say, because he's a psychiatrist. But look, I'm going to advocate something else that you probably never thought of, but that you really should think of. Now, consider the universe for a minute. The universe. And I don't just mean planet Earth. I don't just mean our solar system. I just I don't mean just our galaxy. I mean the billions of galaxies out there, the entire universe, which includes all of us. It includes all the intelligent life everywhere in the universe. It includes us. It includes these little green men, these, these, these aliens. Might be making an appearance before you would suspect it. In any case, I believe there are intelligence out there that, that are further advanced than we are. You can believe that or not, even if you think it's only people. In any case, the universe includes everything, a magnificence, magnificence that our minds cannot even comprehend. But when we talk about the universe, do we say he? No. Do we say she? No. We say it. And what does it mean? It just means something is not a he or a she. Something cannot be classified as a he or a she. When you talk about God, you probably say he. But when you talk about the love of God. Imagine how magnificent that is. Do we say the love of God, she is, or he, no, we say the love of God, it, right? The grace of God is an it. The entire universe is an it. So I am advocating here that we finally begin to call God simply it. And that is not disrespectful. We call love, we, when we need a pronoun, we refer to it as it right? Love itself and all the wonderful things that, that there are 
when the earth and in the entire universe and the universe itself it's it and god who's greater than the entire universe of course uh, then why not just say it it loves me well you might have the answer already and tell you why people want to say that because we like to personalize god we have parents that well hopefully love us right uh, well my folks are dead now i'm 65 years old but uh, there are people, you have a wife or whatever, and she loves you, well, or he loves whatever, you know, LGBTQ, it's whatever. Uh, any case, other people can love us. And we like to think of that, oh, my father, he loves his family, or she, the mother, loves, right? And we, to think of a God as an it, that would make it seem like an object to us. Well, no, it has to be a he or a she, like a loving father or a loving mother or something. People, let's get over it. God is much greater. Even if you're an atheist listening to me, you can at least theorize about God. What uh, For my atheist friends here uh, who, who just refuse to think about God, let's talk about it on just a philosophical level, a, a theoretical level, right? We're speculating here. If God exists, let's assume that God exists. And there's nothing wrong with that, having a logical conversation. Assuming God does exist, then, you know, it, it's like saying... Uh, I don't know, assuming that the Nazis attack your neighborhood tomorrow, I don't mean neo-Nazis, I mean, you know, <laughs> real Nazis. They come back in, in they, they go forward in time. They get in the time machine 1943 and they appear in your neighborhood. Assuming the Nazi attacked, how would you react? Well, most people would say, well, if that happened, I would do this, that, knowing it's not going to happen, right? So even if you're an atheist and are firmly convinced God doesn't exist, bear with me here. Assuming God does exist, why would it have to be he or she why would you want to impose that on it well it's because to make it more personal right because you can identify you feel more loved if it's a loving father love you gotta you can understand that because you had a father that loved you or she well you had a mother that loved you so you understand that you know maybe this uh, a changing god from a he to a she that's kind of interesting isn't it in this uh, era of transgenderism right oh think about that i, I i'm just, that just occurred to me in this very second right What's going on? Well, why shouldn't young boys be able to turn into girls if they want to? Well, why shouldn't God be made a she? You have to think who's behind all these things. Who's behind all of this anyway? Let me ask you this. Considering the fact that we have a world and there's belligerence between countries, would you rather have to enter war with a country that's fiercely male or a country that's fiercely female. You think about this. Personally, I would rather have to, I would rather have to attack a country if I were a soldier in the ground. A people who, who emphasize the feminine principle because those that emphasize the masculine, aggressive testosterone principle, those sons of guns are gonna be a lot harder to beat in general, right? <laughs> And they have a god, maybe they have warrior gods like Mars, uh-oh, because they're emulating him. But the cultures, oh, they idolize some really soft feminine goddess. Well, I don't think they're going to be as fierce as the other ones. So could it be that all this movement, first of all, transgenderism, oh, your little 13-year-old son, he, he says he might be happier as female, so let's give him the operation. Uh, is that making society stronger? Is it making it society more resilient and and uh, and more dangerous than any would-be attackers? I don't think so. I think it's weakening the country. 
And I'm not saying that all transgender people are bad or that nobody should do that. I'm not going to enter into that, that subject. But in general, so all this movement behind, yeah, let's not say God is a he. Remember, the, the he God of the Old Testament, well, he was a pretty rough character. He would, you know, order the Israelites to go and wipe out towns. And, you know, he was a, uh, I wouldn't want to face him in a dark alley. Now we talk about Jesus Christ. Well, that's a different thing, isn't it? You know, forgive your enemy, love your enemy. But you don't see that in the Old Testament. Uh, in Islam, you don't see that either. Uh, Muhammad-based Islam, well, even though they do greatly admire Jesus Christ as a great prophet, but any of you that are into Islam or have read about it know that it was largely based on the Old Testament. They just said, you know, Abraham, Moses, well, these were really Muslims. They just <laughs> gave them a new, <laughs> new name. These were Muslims. Uh, and, but look at the fierceness of the, of the Muslims and the Muslims' arm, armies, hundreds and hundreds of years of conquering one country after the other. Yeah, if you have a God that's pretty warlike, uh, you're a fierce people. If you have a God that's a really delicate, politically correct female uh, goddess, I should say, uh, I don't know if your people are going to be quite as fierce as they would otherwise be. And I'm not a proponent of war. I don't think we should get into so many wars. But on the other hand, if we're attacked, I think it's good to be at least as strong as those that are attacking you. Uh, I read a few months ago that China was starting some kind of yet another indoctrination program. They came to the conclusion that their young men were not really male enough. So they wanted to start some kind of, I don't know, in the educational system, I suppose, make men, make the boys more men. You know, that's a way of laughing at what's going on in America, isn't it? Where, where everybody's trying to make the men more female, right? Uh, the Chinese are behind so much of what's going on in America by funding certain things, by paying people off by blackmail, and then they actually spit in our faces and make fun of it. Oh, look, America, they're all for giving little boys, well, gender operations if they want it. And, you know, and, and God is really a female. Meanwhile, they're teaching their kids to be as masculine as possible. I wonder why. I wonder why. Please, people, wake up. Wake up. I was going to do a podcast today about something else, about how sick I am of the stupidity of, of the human race in general. Not everybody. Oh, really, not everybody. There are a lot that see what's going on, but there's so many dumb people around that cannot... Talk about not being able to connect the dots. You would give them three dots and they wouldn't be able to connect them because they just don't see. But decided, no, that might get a bit too aggressive there. I feel in a slightly aggressive mood today. Can you notice? I thought I'd do something more peaceful. Talk about God. <laughs> and here you have me. Let me just say, there's nothing wrong with calling God an it. Supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force. Because no matter what you think, that's what God would be, right? Supreme, above all things, above all energies. Intelligent, obviously, if it created everything. Loving, well, we can debate about that. I think yes. Creative, obviously, because it created everything. And force, obviously it's a force. Exactly what kind of force it is, we probably could not measure it anyway. Most, I think most likely, uh, as remember they used to tell you, God is everywhere. God is everywhere. But on the other hand, you have to go to, have to go to church to be closer to him. Well, if he's everywhere, I thought as a child, I tried this with my mother. When she forced me to go to Mass every Sunday, I'd say, well, Mom, God's everywhere. I can stay in bed and sleep late on Sunday and say a little prayer, and then God's with me. And she'd say, get out of that bed, get dressed, we're going to church. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> it didn't work. <laughs> but I was trying. I guess I was trying to hone my debating skills even then, but I failed when faced with tyranny. If I would gotten my mother into a theological discussion, I think I would have beaten her, logically. But she wouldn't have anything of it. And she knew I just wanted to sleep longer. So she said, get out of bed and get dressed. Put your suit on. We're going to church. Boy, how I hated wearing suits. Little ties and everything. Oh, I hated that. I still do, as a matter of fact. Uh, it's like the uniform. It's the male uniform if they're supposed to look good. You ever notice how feminine fashion has changed? There's thousands of types. If they want, you know, a woman wants to dress up well, she can dress up in a thousand, she can dress up like a man and wear a suit. She can dress up like an, an ancient Roman woman, wear a long dress, and put it, but a man, it's a suit. Oh, there are little differences. If you're an intellectual man, maybe especially somewhat to the left that you teach at a university, it's not going to be the necktie, it'll be a bow tie. Boy, how I hate bow ties. <laughs> Always did. Maybe because I went to this Catholic school where I believe, yeah, I think in the first, what was it, the first grade, maybe first and second, maybe you had to wear a bow tie. And the older boys, they could wear neckties. So maybe that's the reason. I, thought, oh, I feel like a first grade. I'm wearing a bow tie here. I want to wear the necktie. I soon got sick of the, the neckties as well. I mean, it's so superfluous. But it's supposed to look good. But look at a man wearing a suit in the 1930s. And look at him now. Eh, the cut is somewhat different. But it's still the suit, right? It's still the tie. and still a giant. Oh, my God. What a lack of originality. Uh, although... It, Believe me, I can tell you some really good things in my podcast, even some very wise things. I can help you think more clearly. And I think maybe some of you think just as clear as I do, even better. If so, help me out here along the way. Send me some comments or whatever. Help me think even more clearly. I'd welcome it. But I know with most of you I'm talking to, I have more experience in life. I, I could certainly help you to improve your way of thinking. But please don't ever look to me for fashion advice. Because I'm a total moron in that. <laughs> yes, I know how to dress up better than other times, put a suit on or whatever. But I don't know anything about fashion. I don't care about it. So please, if I ever make any fashion statements, do not follow my example because you'll probably make mistakes there. See, I know my strengths and weaknesses, my friends. But getting back to he, she, or it, God. Now, personally, I'm a pantheist. What's a pantheist? Well, it's like... Baruch Spinoza, the famous 17th century philosopher. And here's a good quote by Spinoza. So God is and abides the most inward, chief, great, potent, noble, and worthy above all things, and contains all things in itself. He said himself, I'll say itself. And it itself, once again, my redaction, is contained of none. Once again, I'll read it the way he wrote it with he and him. So God is and abides the most inward, chief, great, potent, noble, and worthy above all things, and contains all things in himself, and he himself is contained in none. 1649. And that's the pantheistic view. In other words, God is, as expressed in another series of writings, all that is. Now, I know that's hard for people to grasp. And what, God's just everything in the universe? Well, that's just an it. That's just nothing. Uh, 
No, talk to a mystic. Talk to a true mystic and maybe he or she will help you understand that. In a moment of mysticism, one can feel that one is part of everything and that everything is God. This is what a Saint Teresa felt, for example, or many other mystics. The interesting thing about mysticism is if you read writings of mystics, whether they're Catholic or Protestant or, or, or Buddhist or uh, Islam, the mystical experience is amazingly similar. It's amazingly similar. And that, to me, points to what I consider the fact that mysticism is the closest to what true religion is. But when we're in our normal, non-mystical, everyday, conscious state, we cannot even comprehend that. We can't even begin to comprehend it. So we, we dumb things down for our consumption. As humans dumb practically everything down for their consumption because it, it then doesn't require that much thought or maybe requires no thought whatsoever. And we get into the mystical. If you've had a sort of mystical moment, you'll know what I mean. If you haven't, you won't know what I mean. And there's no way I can really explain it to you. Uh, I've had only very fleeting moments where I sense this. But this is opening the door to what God really is. And it is something much greater than our logical minds could ever comprehend. Sure, Spinoza put it in words, the most inward, chief, great, potent, noble, and worthy above all things, contains all things in himself, and he himself is contained in none. I would change that him, he and himself to it and itself. Uh, but even that, they're words. And even if you meditate on each of those words, you will still not even get <laughs> remotely close to the greatness of what God is. Now, I never say I'm really a pantheist, I'm a panentheist. The difference being a pantheist believes that the entire universe, everything together in the universe, that is God. A panentheist believes if there are many universes, it's all universes together and it's even greater than that. And it would be. We are part of that. We are all sparks of, of the divine, I believe. You can differ with me there, of course. I, you know, I'm not going to try to convert you. I don't have any, I'm not the guru of some religion or whatever. But there are things that really should be thought about. And in any case, uh, I'm going to talk more about religious things and other talks because I think it's extremely important. And no, once again, not, I'm not, not a pastor or anybody like that. I'm not, if I quote the Bible to you, I'll probably always laugh because when I hear myself quoting the Bible, I mean, some really religious people who don't agree with me and some other sects might say, oh, even Satan can quote the Bible for his own purposes. You know, dumb things they say just to try to discredit you. Uh, my view of religion is that it should be walking hand in hand with science. In other words, just as science, up until recently, uh, was based on healthy debate, hearing all sides of the argument. I think you know what I mean when I say that, right? In other words, science, true science was never about censorship. The scientists who came up with the idea of the black hole many decades ago, they were opposed up until I think the 90s or early 2000s when finally it was proven that yes, black holes exist. Before that, scientists would criticize that saying, no, but there's another possibility. What you have is only a theory. And of course, there's nothing wrong with a theory. And all scientists make theories if they don't have definite proof of something. You do know how that works. If you don't, uh, listen to podcast episode one of mine on conspiracy theories, how people right and left throw around that term, oh, it's not a conspiracy theory, I'm telling the truth, or that's just a conspiracy theory. That's a totally wrong use of that term. Listen to my first 
episode and I totally destroy that concept. Uh, and with theory, there's nothing wrong with having a theory. Every good detective, what do they start out with? Ever watch like, I don't know, Blue Bloods or any one of the hundreds of detectives that was Kojak from many years ago. What do they come up with? Well, they find a dead body someplace and they think, okay, who could have killed this person? What they do, they interview the, the wife and the, and the brother-in-law and the, and the business partner and, and some thugs that live down the street. Uh, and then they put piece together and think, well, it's more likely that, no, no, the wife did it. It's a theory. It's not definitely a fact. And then I could go up and arrest her until they have some, some more uh, circumstantial evidence at least, right? But gradually, they have maybe different theories. Maybe it were, maybe they were the thugs down the street because he had to run in with them a month ago. Or maybe it was the wife because they were having fights. Well, they have different theories. Let's take the wife theory. Uh, what would support that? Let's take the thug down the street theory. Let's take the business partner theory. They're all theories, basically. They don't call them theories, right? But they are. And if more than one person could have been involved in his death, then suddenly it's conspiracy theory. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to know that the theory itself is not proven fact. That's all. Right? Now, we talk about God, practically everything I'll ever talk about, or you ever talk about, or any human ever talk about is going to be theory. <laughs> ever think about that? Now, of course, if you're, I don't know, a Bible, total Bible believer, say, no, it's not theory, it's fact because it's written here. Well, I get just in, in, in Indian could just well say no, but this is written in the Bhagavad Gita, therefore this is fact. And the Muslim says it's written in the Quran, so that's fact. And this person says, you know, you get my point. Just because something's written in a book, I don't care what book it is, does not mean that it's proven fact. And even in a scientific book, even in a scientific book, we still have to question. Ever hear of non-Euclidean geometry? That was, I don't know what you say, discovered, I suppose, in the 19th century. For thousands of years, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. You learned that too, I'm sure, in school. But then the 19th century, ah, but in non-Euclidean geometry, when you have other kinds of shapes, then the straight line is, is not necessarily the, uh, the shortest distance between two points. It could be a curved line. Ah, suddenly, things that they put in math and geometry books for hundreds of years Suddenly, oh no, it's not necessarily always the case. Or the physicists that say the laws of physics, they're almost like written in stone, certain, certain laws of physics. But they say if there are other universes, they could have other laws of physics. So even they're not necessarily written in stone. So even in science books, one of my favorite examples is the earliest hominids, the earliest uh, people, I guess you'd say, very primitive people. When I was in school, I still remember the picture of that it was a kneeling caveman. I think he was, I don't know, chipping away something with a rock or something like that. I remember the drawing, uh, black and white, I think third grade or something. The earliest human-type creatures lived a million years ago. Well, by the time I got to high school, it was three million years ago when they discovered Lucy. And in the 90s, it, they were saying, well, maybe it was seven million years ago. Oh, well, that's science for you. And of course, all of them were just theories. And we talk about God, no matter what you say, no matter what you think is going to be a theory. Now, if you have a mystical experience, if you have a real mystical experience, and you, and you could be Christian, you could be Muslim, there are atheists that have the experience. Not many, but there are atheists that have the experience, and then suddenly they become believers. Not necessarily Bible believers, but they realize, oh, there is something greater. If you have this mystical experience, then, then in those moments you realize, yes, 
there is a supreme, intelligent, loving, creative force. You simply know it. But that doesn't mean you can prove it. Because we're trying to prove things, we're using the logical conscious mind. And the logical conscious mind cannot even grasp what God is or what, what, it, what it could be. We can't even grasp that. And in case you would disagree there, I ask you, can you explain to me the, what the, can you explain to me something as simple as, oh yes, you look at the stars. Oh, look at that, look at that star shining brightly now. Well, scientists say, no, it's not shining brightly now. That particular star was shining brightly, uh, say, 20 light years ago. We don't know. Maybe it's extinct by now. Oh, because whenever we look in the sky, we're looking at the past. And by extension, whenever you look at the, at the chair in front of you, you realize you're looking into the past. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? Because your brain needs a, well, a small fraction of a second to perceive what's in front of you. And because it needs that time, what you're perceiving is a little bit in the past. Everything we perceive in the past. But you try to explain, you can explain that logically as I just have. That's a logical explanation. But to really grasp that is not very easy to do in a world where we're constantly talking about the present as if the present even existed. You think about those things. We can't even wrap our heads around such things. The furthest reaches of the universe and many other things in the universe. And if there's some force that created all that, that's the source of all that, how could we possibly understand it? Speaking with words and using logic and reasoning, we cannot understand it. So the irony is here, you know, some people, some religious people might say, well, he's kind of half an atheist because he doesn't accept the Bible. My vision of God is actually, I think, much greater than their vision of God, unless they're Christian mystics, as I said. But the vision of God that it's, oh, he's the loving father in heaven and he sent his loving son to earth. He had to die for our sins. Of course, if you commit sins, then you still have to go to confession if you're Catholic. Well, what did he die for? Oh, he died for original sin, Jesus Christ. What was that? Well, that's what we inherited from Adam and Eve. Also, in other words, Adam and Eve committed some sin, who knows when, and but we still have to suffer for it. Uh, and, and Jesus had to die for it. I'll talk about that in another podcast. I recognize as a child, this whole story makes no sense whatsoever. I'm not trying to put down Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ recognized and talked about things that are so not just wise but truly spiritual and yet and i'll point that out in the future podcast i think most christians don't even know half of what he was talking about they don't realize what he was really talking about and this is why you have this cognitive dissonance namely people that go to church every week and they're christians remember they, they worship jesus christ as god jesus christ who said forgive your enemy and love your enemy well, let me just say this at the end. On the one hand, I'm glad that if a communist invasion comes, I'm glad that there are a million Americans with guns, whether they're AR-15s, M-16s, handguns, whatever. I'm glad there are people that would stand up to fight for freedom. I'm very glad of that. But on the other hand, very honestly, I have to say, how does this jive with Jesus Christ saying, love your enemies? Pumping somebody full of lead from some kind of automatic weapon is hardly an expression of love. Let me just suggest it because I'm on the path of Socrates and I'll question everything. I admit I have problems with this too because yes, I do believe we should love our neighbor. I do believe in spirituality. But let me tell you, if communists, Nazis, whatever, try to, well, I don't have, I live in Japan, never owned a gun, certainly don't need one here in Japan. I don't feel that at least. But if, I don't know, if some criminal breaks in the house and, you know, my life and my life of my wife is threatened, I would kill. 
to protect her, first of all, and to protect myself as well, obviously. How does that go along with high level of spirituality, loving others no matter what, like the Amish do? They would not fight in a war. Well, that is a conflict, and it's still a conflict with, with me in part. The way I resolved that at the beginning is I'm just not that spiritual yet, <laughs> and I recognize it. I recognize it. It's not that spiritual yet, so don't mess with me. <laughs> and I think a lot of Christians probably say the same thing, but maybe some haven't realized they think they're just totally following Jesus Christ. Well, you know, uh, uh, I think there's still a ways to go there. But after all, we live in a world where there's aggression and where we have certain things that I think are worth fighting for. And so we kind of, well, bend Christianity to suit other desires, like desire for self-protection that are within us. And that could ultimately point to a not really grasping what ultimate spirituality is. And if so, so be it. Because I said at the beginning, just as I debated for months how to do this podcast, whether I should try to be more calm than I actually am, or try to be more kind and not critical, I thought, no, that's not me. So I'm going to say what I think. And in religion, the same thing. So with God, he, she, or it, you can call it, we probably should create another pronoun just for God, then everybody would be satisfied, right? It wouldn't be he, it wouldn't be she, it wouldn't be it. I don't have any suggestions there. Maybe you can make a comment somewhere and, and suggest something or another. Uh, but for now, I would say let's take sex out of out of God. <laughs> no, I don't mean emasculate him. <laughs> I mean, God obviously, being above all things, would contain the masculine principle and would contain the feminine principle. However you want to define masculine and feminine principle, God would contain everything. And so, so it would contain the masculine and feminine. But why go, you know, out of frying pan into the fire? Go from he to she. Because each is going to just limit. It's like the yin and the yang among the Chinese. I like that concept. Yin and yang, right? The feminine principle, the masculine principle, one could say. But it goes deeper than that. And God would be everything, both of them together. So it, it cannot be defined as one thing or the other. Talking about Jesus Christ, yes. He was a man. Okay. Whether he, his soul was actually a masculine soul as opposed to a feminine soul, whether souls have sex in that sense when you get to a higher level, I don't believe so. But a lot of people have trouble wrapping their heads around that concept. Uh, in any case, I'm just suggesting to you, instead of going from he to she, or sticking stubbornly to he, maybe we should consider it. But then to do so would maybe mean having to rethink a lot of the way you see religion, your personal religion, and that's a much longer path of thought, of meditation, of reading, of pondering. And you might shy away from such a long path. It could take you many years. But I don't shy away from any of that because, as you all know, I have long been on and still am on and will be on, hopefully in the future, the path of Socrates. Thank you for listening. This is David Bolton, and you'll hear me the next time. Bye now.